Hello and welcome to Good News That Actually Is, where three to five sets you free to thrive. Three to five minute encouragements to help your joy by empowering your soul. I am your host, Tim Ashley. Uh, Have you ever heard of someone being drop-dead gorgeous or brutally handsome, but believed they were unattractive and wanted plastic surgery to help improve their appearance? Happens all the time. Have you ever heard of someone who's brilliant, but saw themselves as average? You know, there can be a fine line between what's true humility and what is actual insecurity. A very fine line. Wow. And that fine line is determined by what you see in the mirror. It's what you see in the mirror. See, it takes humility to believe what a reliable source that truly knows you says about you. It takes humility to believe what a reliable source that truly knows you, says about you. Insecurity struggles with such a perspective because it is seeing the wrong image in the mirror. It's seeing the wrong image in the mirror. If you have your Bibles, would you open to James? Sounds like an odd letter to go to for encouragement, but trust me, encouragement is in the book of James. Go to James chapter 1. Verses 22 through 25, we'll read. I'm reading it from the New King James Version. It says in verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. This is so often read from an old covenant perspective. But can I tell you, it is not written from an old covenant perspective. Many read this and they think it's talking about moral performance based on the law and the scriptures. But it's not. James is speaking new creation language when when he uses the analogy of the mirror. He's speaking new creation language. See, it's possible to forget the new creation image you witnessed at the first. You can look into the mirror and see only a natural man reflected back to you. And when that's what you see, you go away and you forget what it is you were created to be. You forget. See, when... 
you look in the mirror and you see the wrong image, you see yourself as a failure or a misfit. Instead of a glorious new creation made after the image of Christ and possessing eternal life that is divine in its origins. Instead of seeing yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to see yourself as a rundown shack with broken windows and no real appeal. And that kind of image causes a loss of purpose. The only thing that upholds the true believer in Christ is their faith in him and his finished work that made them brand new creations. That's the only thing. See, it is this glorious heavenly view of being born from above that supports choices and decisions that lead into better things in your life. Yes. Having the right image in your mirror is crucial for your soul's well-being, for your practical life's well-being, for so many areas that you move and do, in, do life in daily, it is critical that you see the correct image in your mirror. See, it's the heavenly view that empowers you and I to say no to the old life so we can enjoy the adventurous journey of this new life we have received in Christ. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Been my home base, home base verse since I got saved. Ever since the Lord made me a new creation. He led me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. I've camped on that scripture my entire journey. If therefore. Right? Any man. Is what? In Christ. He is a new creation. The old things are passed away. As far as heaven's concerned, they don't even exist anymore. Behold, everything has become new. If you don't keep the right image in your mirror, you live as though everything is passing, aging, Disappearing, perhaps even. You don't see new. The key to, to, to being who you're called to be is to be able to look in your mirror and see the new. Yes. The new you. You're still the new you. You're not the old you. You are still the new you. You are a new you that will never age. You are a new you that is eternal in nature. You are a new you. You have become timeless. Because he is timeless. Are you hearing me? You're heaven born. But here's the kicker. The coup de grace, if you will. By the way, the way that said, I love the way it's spelled. C-O-U-P. Space D, space G R A C E. The coup de grace. One must be a doer of the word. Now, the word is Jesus Christ. 
This is really referencing living out from your new life. You need more than just encouragement that the gospel brings into your thinking. You need to embody it. You need to embody it. You need the gospel all the time or you'll forget the image you first saw in the mirror. See, a morality based on the law cannot bring life to you. It'll never do it. It can only do what it was created to do, and that is to magnify sin. You cannot in your flesh keep the law perfectly. Jesus had to do it on your behalf. And then he had to take your sin and death and instead give you his righteousness and life. So, when you look in the mirror, you need to get to the point that you are not any longer uncomfortable saying to yourself in the mirror, which, by the way, I guess my dad, when I was a kid, I remember catching him one time in the bathroom. He was without his shirt and he was standing in front of the mirror and he was kissing his muscles, saying, good morning, you handsome devil, you. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. You need to be able to look in your mirror and say, good morning, righteousness of God in Christ. Good morning, holy person. Good morning, justified, sanctified, soon to be glorified. Good morning, you new creation, you. You're about to have a glorious day. You need to get comfortable with that. Truthfully. It will change your life. Peter got this right. When he stated in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. But also for this very reason. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue in the Greek actually means manliness or valor. You remember Gideon had hidden himself away and God came to him in his hiding and he said, rise up, oh mighty man of valor. Heaven was seeing Gideon one way. Gideon was seeing himself a different way. He had to get in contact with the way God was looking at him. Once he did, he could do what God was calling him to do. You can't do what God is calling you to do until you can see who he says you are. You will never do what God has determined for you to do in this life until you can get to that place, you can see who he says you are. You know what virtue is? It's living differently than the status quo. I probably need to say that one again. Virtue is living differently than the status quo. You're not making your decisions based on what the world thinks. You're not doing life based on what's popular in society. You're not thinking and acting and determining things based on the experts of this world. 
You are reliant upon the wisdom of your, your father. You're reliant on the leadership and the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you have access to that as a new creation. You have access to something that nobody in this world without Christ can access. They can't get to it. You possess it. But sadly, many in the church are not accessing it. Because many in the church are looking at the mirror and seeing the wrong image. Virtue is of great benefit when it is added to faith. But it's a stumbling block if someone tries to add faith to virtue. You don't have faith by reason of your virtue. We diligently are admonished to seek to add virtue because of our faith. Not to get faith. Faith always produces an action. Always. Abraham, because he believed God, knew what he needed to do. He had to leave his old country and kindred and their ways of doing things to go where God would lead him. In other words, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old things passed away. You realize in Abraham's time, once he journeyed afar off, it would have been too involved for him to try to go back. He would have spent too much of his life trying to get back what he left behind. But I see a lot of believers who are doing that. They're trying to get back what they left behind. They reminisce over the unsaved days. And it doesn't make sense to me why anyone would want to reminisce over the unsaved days because they were not glorious. They were foolish. They were filled with stupidity and ignorance. Come on. Can't we be a little bit honest? How many other had lives filled with stupidity and ignorance before they came to Christ? How many have slipped into a little bit of that stupidity and ignorance since you came to Christ? How many would admit that it was when you were looking at the wrong image in the mirror? Every single time. That's why it happened, right? Now, Abraham went on a journey of relationship with God purely based on the belief that God was the only true God and that God would show him where to go and what to do. Abraham had no maps. He couldn't open an encyclopedia and find out what was in the land several hundred miles away. He he couldn't take a perspectives course and learn a culture he was going to encounter in another place. Do you understand? Abraham did this without any hint of a clue of what he might encounter when he went. He had absolutely no idea what he would experience or encounter. All he had to go on is he had encountered God, the only true living God, and he was reliant upon that God in the belief that he had the highest wisdom, the best ways, and therefore could be trusted. And so Abraham went out not knowing even where he was going. Couldn't pull up his smartphone and search Wikipedia. Couldn't pull up maps in his Apple iPhone. 
get a GPS tracking going. None of that. He had nothing. Just a sense, I need to go that direction today. This is where he's telling me to go today. Straight through the desert. Who goes through a desert? Jesus led of the Holy Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. Where he's fasting for 40 days. Think about it. Was he being set up for failure? No, he was being set up for success. He's being set up for success. He's being set up to make the clear the claim of who he is to the arch enemy. And make sure that the arch enemy can't find in him what he found in first Adam. Abraham believed God would take care of Abraham. He could do whatever God asked him to do, knowing that God was going to see him through it. He had a couple of blips along the way where in the mix with humanity, he got just a touch insecure about the situation, crafted his own way of handling it. And God even managed to turn that into a blessing for him, although it also served as a correction. Isn't that incredible? That's the new covenant. You realize that the new covenant is really the Abrahamic covenant. In the new covenant, believers are called sons of Abraham because they're called to believe God for righteousness just as Abraham did and was made righteous. There is never going to be anything that you do that gives you righteousness or adds to your righteousness or takes away from your righteousness. See, everybody's okay if I say, oh, you're never going to earn your righteousness or add to your righteousness. But do you squirm just a little bit internally when I say you can't do anything to take away from your righteousness? People are afraid of that one. But see, you've got to get the image right. If you can take away from your righteousness, you're not a new creation. You're just a natural man trying to be good enough. Come on. Yeah. And you are so identified with your natural self, you can't see through the clouds of confusion to realize that God has done something so supernatural and so wonderful and so glorious, you can't screw it up. Pardon the French, but let's be real. Let's be a little bit raw. Let's be a little bit scandalous. Grace is scandalous. Believers are called to put their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And the just, it says, shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. So what James is speaking about is not having anything to do with the law of Moses. It's about the law of liberty. He, did, he t- 
tells you what he's talking about. The law of liberty. Where do we find this kind of stuff? Listen to what it says in Galatians 5 verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. The law of liberty. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. See, if you go to your mirror and you look in there and you say, you know, I know what God said is right and wrong. I, 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 I've read about it. I, I, I could quote the Ten Commandments, so I know those things. And I know that I've not been down the line consistent in these matters. I am not a very good person. You heard Janice give a testimony. She, by the Holy Spirit's relationship with her, he showed her that she was thinking of herself about what she did as an identifier, and he was moving her identifier to being about his presence in her life and let that be the fuel for everything. Uh, he didn't say, you, you law-breaking, yeah. worthless. Yeah. Come on. But if you're looking there and you're doing that kind of comparison, you're putting yourself on the struggle bus. And it's, it's going down the road with square wheels. Not only is it slow, it's beating you to death while it goes. Why do you want that? Why would anybody want that? Now, the yoke of bondage is mentioned in another place of great importance to, us, is importance to us in Scripture. It comes out of Acts 15, verse 10. And listen to what it says there. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What was that yoke? Gentile believers must come under the law of Moses and be circumcised like the Jews if they're to be truly acknowledged as having been saved. They were trying to bring into the new covenant the law. And here Peter gets it right. He said, why do you want to put that yoke? That's the yoke of bondage spoken of in Galatians 5. It's spoken of in other places, Colossians and Thessalonians and a couple other places in the scriptures. And if you search these things out, you begin to discover something. I'm not supposed to be looking in my mirror and seeing me compared to the righteousness of the law. I need to see me encompassed in the righteousness of Christ. That's how I need to see me. In the early church, certain men wanted Gentile believers to be subject to the law and the Jewish traditions. But Peter argued that such a demand would be wrong and out of step with the gospel. In fact, he says, why would you test God? If you want to get God in conflict with you, try to put people back under the law. You'll get in a good taste of what that, that comes out to be like. That's not the covenant of Christ. 
Peter argued that this demand is wrong out of step with the gospel. And Peter wasn't saying Gentiles would be free to stay pagans. He wasn't saying that. Peter was basically saying that he understood the power of real faith in Christ to create new creations. Filled with the Holy Spirit and governed by him in surrender. Belief in God does not produce idleness, settling, lusting after lesser things. These are not the fruits of a belief in God. Faith does not pursue only based on convenience. Faith manifests itself in standing firm for what God has revealed. Faith is willing to embrace sacrifice at differing levels to pursue what Christ has spoken. That's the virtue part. When faith sees who Christ is, where one is positioned in Christ, gets a glimpse of that glory, gets a hint of the calling of God, begins to pursue the direction it's being taken in, it requires adding virtue to that faith because it's going to call you into some measurable sacrifice on some level. You may have some friend that does not agree with your viewpoint of who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ has done, and why they should believe it. You may have a family member that thinks that you're stupid and ridiculous and you're just a nuisance at the table because all you talk about is Jesus. You may have somebody recommend that perhaps you need professional help because you talk about things that are uncommon in the natural world. Are you hearing me? You may be standing in faith with God for healing and they're saying, why haven't you, why haven't you, why haven't you? Are you hearing me? There'll be some sacrifice. You may have to walk away from a situation because it's so antichrist in its nature. You're not meant to be in it, but free from it. Sacrifice. You might think this person is the one, but they have no love for God, no passion for Christ, no fire, no zeal, nothing that's shut up in their bones, itching to get out, no, no evidence of any desire or willingness to influence other people for the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would you want that? Faith will sacrifice and say, eh, you're good looking, you got money, you seem influential with a lot of people, but it's the wrong kind, see ya, Amen. don't need ya. Amen. Come on. We add virtue to the faith. I fell in love with Sheila because on our way to a Christian concert, picked up a hitchhiker. She's turned around the seat witnessing to him, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, whoa, that's somebody. After all the girls I've encountered, that's somebody I could spend my life with right there. And she's good looking too. And funny and smart. Man, this is the whole package. <laughs> Praise God. 
I wasn't desperate to have a relationship. She wasn't desperate to have a relationship. We were thrust into something by the Holy Spirit. Put through the fires of testing to see if it was real or not. Passed through those fires of testing to emerge engaged and then eventually married. And here we are 35 years later still together. Because faith moved us in the direction God was taking us. And at a point in that journey, we intersected and found out we share a common faith calling in Christ to which we're supposed to complement one another in the journey. It is not, did they get, it was not, do you give me goose pimples? (laughs) Do I shudder when I look at you? (laughs) When we kissed, the fireworks went off. I mean, they kind of did, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) That was not the test. The test was, are you as willing as I am to let everything go if necessary? To follow Jesus Christ. Because if you can't, this is, not, this is not God. This is not a God. In my workplace, same test. I know where faith is calling me. And I know where they're wanting me to go. And I'm telling them over and over again, I'm sorry, but you don't understand. I have a call of God on my life. I'm not going to be here that long. I appreciate your confidence in me and what you'd like to do for me to be able to bump me up to another level and all of that stuff, but I'm not going to be here that long. What do you mean you're not going to be here that long? As soon as God says, I'm out the door. He's called me into ministry. That's going to be where I'm going to be because that's his call on my life. He, the timing is totally up to him. I'm just, I'm just preparing you guys for what is about to come when it comes. And so what did they have to do? They had to pass over me and go to somebody else. When they passed over me and went to somebody else, I didn't even get to go. No. I was like, praise God. They got the hint. Thank you, Jesus. My freedom must be closer than I realized. When you're in faith, Virtue follows. You add virtue to faith. The virtue you add is the valor it takes to make the step faith is calling you into. That's the valor part. I ran around with guys that would say, I'm going to be a bachelor to the rapture. I said, well, that's not my preference, but if I have to do that, I'll do it. But I want a wife and a family. And I've told the Lord that, and he knows that. And I believe that the Lord wants me to have that. So, but if he sees that I don't get that, that's fine with me. I'll be okay with it. Because serving him, being with him, influencing people for him is like food on the table to me. It's, it is the air I breathe, you know? Add virtue to your faith. You don't add faith to virtue. You add virtue to faith. When you lose sight 
of who you are according to Jesus, you make decisions and choices that aren't beneficial to you. Your choices and decisions produce a self-effort rooted in insecurity. I've seen people buy houses way beyond their financial ability because they're compensating for insecurity. They do it with cars. I've seen people go out and get pets trying to compensate. And that's not to say if you went out and got a pet, you're compensating for insecurity. I'm not saying that. I just say I've known people who have done that. They've done that. They rushed out, got in a relationship with somebody out of insecurity, not from a place of security. Anytime you make these choices out of insecurity, it's dangerous. It can hurt you down the road. Don't do it. Know the image in the mirror. Know your worth. Know your value. Know what he's calling you to. And expect others to either be okay with it or get behind you. Get behind you. The fruits of insecurity can manifest as selfish ambition, lust, or greed. Needing to obtain more, own more, have more to brag about to others about so that you can feel like somebody. When I was immature, I thought that if I had a ride mower like my Uncle Lynn had, that would mean I'd arrived at some place of importance. Because he seemed to me like a man of importance, a man of means, a man of, you know, people respecting him. And I thought maybe they respected him for his bass boat and his ride mower and his stone home and, you know, and, and, and his nice guitars and his this and his that. And so for a long time in my life, I thought, well, the rate I'm going, I'm never going to get there. So heck with that. And I just made myself abhorrent to people in my sin. But when I came to Christ, I came to realize that stuff doesn't even matter. Do I like to drive a nice truck? Sure I do. Do I like living in a decent home? Of course I do. Do I like to wear decent clothes? Of course I do. But they don't, this is not who I am. What I drive is not who I am. What I live in is not who I am. How I cut the grass is not who I am. I have a riding mower because I cut the grass for five yards. I'm not push mowing all that, people. <laughs> Come on. I've arrived more to be a blessing yes. to others, not to be somebody. <laughs> Insecurity can push you into things. It can push you into a job decision, yeah. find you doing something that is a torment in your life. But now you're stuck. Because you've adjusted all your levels to have to do this, and you can't get free. Unless you want to make a big-time sacrifice. You know, faith, I added virtue to my faith when I entered the ministry full-time. had four kids. Four kids. And had to meet with them and my wife and say, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit's saying. You guys pray and see what you think. They didn't, they didn't even hesitate. They said, let's do it. And I said, you know, do you understand? There's not a $100 surplus in the church budget for us to make it. It doesn't exist. There's no money 
in the church bank to compensate what I'm going to lose when I walk in and tell them this, I'm done. I'll have no 401k plan. I'll have all of my stocks that I had in the company. I'll, they'll, they'll terminate that, give, to, give me a check. But I mean, unless God moves, do you understand? Unless God moves, we got nothing. We won't be able to pay the rent. We won't pay the light bill. We won't have any food. There'll be nothing. I'm asking you, come on a journey of faith with me where we're risking it all. Amen. And they said, let's do it. And we did it. And I have never not been paid. Amen. Never not been paid. Never had to fall back on my rent. Never missed the light bill. Never. Yes. But thank God they added virtue to their faith and came with me. Amen. Are you hearing me? Yes. That was a sacrifice. And I'm not sharing these things with you so that you think, well, that's, you know, look at Tim, look at Tim. No, no, I'm giving you examples that you can kind of wrap your mind and heart around in your own existence and your own doing life. That's my only reason for sharing these. These are not to prop me up in any way. These are to testify the faithfulness of God when you step out in faith with him. Amen. And you can do it too. Maybe there's something going on in your life right at this moment that's a major challenge to you, but there's something stirring in you. God's been tearing up the nest on the cliff like the eagle does. When the eagle wants the eaglets to fly, they're reluctant. They like the comfort and the convenience of the nest. So the mother and the father eagle will tear the nest into shreds and dis discard it so that they don't want to stay on the hard rocky ledge anymore. And they'd have to come off that ledge, spread their wings, catch the wind current, and learn that they can stay aloft. They can do it. They can do it. Maybe God's trying to tear up your nest right now in some situation Maybe there's an area in your life that you sense by the Holy Spirit. Man, God, man, what's going on? And he's trying to push you into a place of faith, trusting him. And if you'll lean on him and ask him for his wisdom and his help, he'll tell you how to help the others that would be affected in your life by it, that are important to you, to navigate it with you. He'll help them do it. I'm talking to somebody here today. Online here presently, I'm talking to somebody here today. I know I am. Don't lose sight of who you are. Don't get the fruits of insecurity working in your life. You'll stop being a real you. You'll start living a lie instead. Something that's contrary to the new creation you've been made to be in Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel still matters. So let's wind this up. The words you need to hear and do is the gospel. Amen. You need to get the gospel right. You need to get the gospel in you. And then you need to get the gospel out in your living and speaking. It's not just hearing the gospel. It is applying the gospel. And that, that includes in any kind of mistake you've made, no matter how small or how great it might seem to you, the gospel will work. Even with that, yes. it will work. 
It's not just hearing the gospel. It's applying the gospel. It's accepting all that the gospel declares to be true concerning you. Yes, you. You. No, really, you at the point of your personal pain. What does the gospel say about your current situation? What does it say about who you are despite your current situation? What does it say about you? What does it say about him? You will know how to navigate if you'll let yourself be saturated, immersed in the gospel to the point of you know how, how to apply it now. You know how to bring it. Put this thing that you're dealing with through the filter of the gospel. Yes. Pass it through it. You need a gospel to where it's no, that, that, that forms in you this thing that's no longer living in your own wisdom and strength. But instead, you're listening and doing, listening to and doing what Jesus is revealing to you. If you're getting the gospel right, if you're getting the gospel in and beginning to get it out, that's exactly what it looks like. You're not listening to your head. You're not listening to the talking heads. You're not listening to the circumstances. You're not listening to the pressures of the age. You're listening to the voice of the Lord. You're hearing the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and you're able, you're empowered to do something with it. It produces a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. See, if you've forgotten what you first saw in the mirror, it's time to ask the Holy Spirit to bring you back before the mirror for another look. It's time for a fresh look. And when he does, he's going to be bringing you back to the gospel because every time you hear the gospel being taught, you're being brought back in front of that mirror to see yourself the way he sees you. If you've forgotten what you first saw, can I encourage you, don't make any major decisions, please. Please. Don't do it. Get in front of the mirror first. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let him remind you of who he's made you to be. Let him show you what your potential is. Let him reveal the opportunities he has set out before you. And when you get that clear, then make your decision. Then make your decision. See, the image in his mirror is an image with worth and value. It will never move you to have to settle for something. You won't find yourself saying, well, this is about the best I can get. So, oh, well. No. Uh-uh. Not good enough. His mirror will show you an image cherished by heaven. Glorious and different from anything that this world has to offer you. It's going to present a beautiful you. A beautiful you. It is an image satisfied with him and identified with him. It is an image whose beauty is unparalleled uh, because 
you have his likeness. That's who you are. It is an image that does not need to be insecure, unsettled, or unsure. That image is no longer in bondage and slavery to sin. It's free. It's righteous. It's holy. It's a temple for the Holy Spirit, and it knows it has power. So I challenge you to take a fresh look today. And let his word come alive in the reflection that you see in that mirror. Let his word come to life in you. You are still that new creation you saw at the first. You still are that. Regardless of anything that has happened. Regardless of what might be happening even right now. To say it contradicts the reality of that. You didn't become a new creation one day and then you were no longer. If you genuinely, supernaturally were made a new creation through faith in Christ, you are still that new creation. You still have that value. You still have that glory. You still. Not only have you not ever seen an ordinary person in day-to-day life. Every day you're beholding immortal beings. The lost are not going to die someday and just cease to exist like they never were on the pages of his book. There's only one of two conclusions at the end of life. The redeemed will forever be in the presence of the Lord. And the rebels will perish. Everlasting judgment, lake of fire. They won't cease to exist. They will continue to exist. They just exist in a different reality than that of those who have come to know Jesus Christ. And that reality will be so real, they'll no longer be able to deny it. There'll be no argument come out of their mouths as to who is Lord. But that statement can no longer, that confession can no longer Save them. It's too late. You've never met an ordinary person. Ever. And when you're in the church, you most assuredly have not met an ordinary person. You have met a glorious new creation. If you want to be able to esteem others as better than yourselves... You must let the Holy Spirit get a revelation into your soul, into your spirit of new creation, new covenant reality. So that you can see not only your own worth and value. The purpose of this is not just your own worth and value. It's the worth and value of the one sitting next to you in Christ Jesus. It's the worth and value of somebody who works with you and is such a bother to you. Okay? But Jesus Christ, in their condition, loved them and gave himself for them too. Because you have never met an ordinary. Thanks for tuning in today. Never forget that you are loved by a faithful God whose obedient son, Jesus Christ, willingly died on a cross so that you can live today and always from the abundance of his life in you. 
Please subscribe and share this with others so that they too can experience the three to five that sets you free to thrive. And be sure to tune in next time to Good News That Actually Is. Please visit us at our website, goodnewsthatactuallyis.com. There you'll find transcripts of the program, video files, and other opportunities. We look forward to visiting with you there and ask you to subscribe. Have a great day.